Well, hello there, and welcome to Food Lab Talk. I am your host, Michael Bucker. This season, we're talking about shifting diets. For many of us in the West, this revolves around people making more informed, sustainable, delicious, and nutritious food choices. But for many less privileged, talk of diets must involve the basic availability of food, its accessibility, and basic adequacy in terms of natural value. According to the World Food Programme, up to 783 million people today do not have enough food, and more than 40 million people are at an emergency or worse levels of hunger. Today's guest is Bernard Kowach. Bernard is the founder and head of the Innovation Accelerator at the United Nations World Food Programme. The World Food Programme's Innovation Accelerator is the world's largest social impact incubator and is dedicated to ending hunger worldwide. In 2022 alone, their portfolio of 150 plus startups and innovations impacted an incredible 37 million people globally. Bernard, it is truly a pleasure to have such an impactful leader like you on the show. Well, Michael, it's a pleasure for me to be here and I'm happy to talk about you know, the future of food and also a more inclusive environment for everybody. Love it. To get things started, Bernard, could you briefly share with us what sparked you off on this incredible journey that you're on? Absolutely, Michael. And I, I think this is actually a journey that a lot of people are on in terms of thinking about, you know, when you think about tech solutions, innovations, startups, how can that solve some of the world's biggest problems? And I first started my career working in private sector for the Boston Consulting Group, but then I joined the World Food Program, building up the internal management consulting team, created a startup called Share the Meal, and now most recently our innovation accelerator. And the basic premise behind this is essentially that thought that I think a lot of people share right now is like, okay, how can my lifestyle, my work, what we do on a daily basis contribute towards a world that's getting better, like a world where nobody goes to bed hungry. And I, I think this is one of the strong beliefs that technology and startups can actually help us get there. That sounds really, really interesting. But for the audience, maybe let's start with what is the World Food Program Innovation Accelerator? It's, as you were saying, the World Food Program, a United Nations agency dedicated for supporting people in emergency response, whether it's like, you know, uh, providing food to people that are affected by wars in Ukraine, in Afghanistan, but also natural disasters, but sustainably ending hunger, connecting farmers to markets, mother and child nutrition, um, school meals programs. The World Food Program Innovation Accelerator is the World Food Program's corporate innovation center or lab or accelerator, as we're calling it, identifying, supporting and scaling these startups or innovations that can help us either make emergency response more effective and efficient, and at the same time, sustainably ending hunger. And I think the mission is quite daunting, to be fair, like the same as for the World Food Program, is like, how can we go as an organization to the next level and bring in the knowledge of Silicon Valley, of uh, private sector companies, of startups into the fight against hunger that we have as the World Food Program. And by now, um, as you were saying, like we are um, offering these types of accelerator programs also to partners by now. So this year we are running a total of 15 startup, social impact startup accelerator programs for partners like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, the German government, European Commission. Yeah. 
let's get really, really practical because I understand there's this massive, incredibly impactful world food program. And then you're talking about innovation. And it feels to me there's an incredible gap between the big organization and an individual or a small organization trying to make a difference. So can you give the audience just maybe one example where you say, here is an amazing startup that we have supported that is making an impact somewhere? Let me reference a, a startup. It's actually for-profit. That's called Nylus. It's a startup originally from Argentina. And what they are doing, they are connecting essentially ugly food. So food that is cosmetically rejected. So, you know, they don't fulfill the beauty standards of food, if you want. And they bring this into food deserts. The problem of people, I mean, similarly in the US, but also in a lot of developing countries in urban areas, oftentimes, if you are too poor, you cannot afford a healthy diet. And what Nylas does, so they're connecting these ugly foods or cosmetically rejected foods that are perfectly fine for human consumption to urban areas where they're essentially with a marketplace. So they bring it into these urban centers. And then even single moms actually operate like essentially like the store, the crates where people can pick up the food at their home. So like they are not only tackling food waste, so the food is not thrown away. There's uh, women that actually have a job now because they essentially have an additional income where they're essentially the pickup point. But then the people who are purchasing the vegetables from them, they are now able to uh, purchase that vegetables at 25% below market rate in those areas and they have over 500,000 paying customers already. So they're now active in Argentina and Mexico already and we as World Food Program help them expand in Peru and hopefully soon Colombia, which is, I think, to, to the extent where you're thinking about this, an ingenious idea. I mean, it is actually for-profit. It tackles climate issues and also food waste and it also makes nutritious food for people more affordable, which is like so many benefits that you're actually having from that. Yeah. That's very practical. So I hear about this amazing company, Nihilus. What is it that they benefited from being affiliated with the Innovation Accelerator with you? So the, this is an interesting question. And like the, I, I think a lot of times when startups come into a program, like they're looking into like typically in our early stage program. Uh, so we run a one week training program we call Innovation Bootcamp with a pitch event in front of investors, government representatives and corporates. And then we have uh, like a sprint program where we provide up to $100,000 of grant funding, hands-on support through our team and connections to our field offices and partners. And then the best teams go into scale-up enablement. And Nylas actually is right now in our scale-up enablement program uh, where they also benefit from grant funding, additional grant funding, but also hands-on support and connections to our field office. So in actually working with them, expanding in Peru, it's like... Our colleagues on the ground from World Food Pro in Peru were also making introductions of like, how do you set up operations in Lima? Uh, who are the people you need to meet from the ministries, from the local community? Where do you actually buy food from the smallholder farmers? So these are the types of advantages that we can offer as World Food Pro because we have the reach. World Food Pro has operations in 120 countries and territories with people on the ground there working with the communities, which is sometimes in hindsight even more beneficial than the grant money. But of course, grant money is always important. And then, uh, of course, also the exposure. So I should say Nylas, I mean, they are a great startup. So they actually earlier this year were awarded Schwab Foundation Social Entrepreneur of the Year at the World Economic Forum. So like, I think 
I wouldn't uh, put this on our achievement. It's really this uh, Nihilus achievement, I would say. However, I do think like, you know, getting them exposure in front of investors, corporates and like people who actually have money, I think that's also sometimes can be a lot more valuable than you think. Totally hurt. This season, it's all about shifting diets. And before we go into how you're organized on your side, shifting diets can sometimes be dependent as well on changing circumstances. And in early conversations, I was amazed by the work that your organization has done at the start of the war in Ukraine, because the context has shifted and therefore there were specific changes needed as well in order to support Ukraine. Are there some examples you can share about how your organization got involved and how innovation ultimately helped to provide the people of Ukraine at the beginning and now during the ongoing war in Ukraine? Yeah, and um, just uh, to mention the example in Ukraine, like when the war in Ukraine started, um, at that moment, World Food Prom actually did not have any operations in Ukraine anymore. So what happened is essentially from one day to the next, like uh, we kick-started operations to deliver ready-to-eat foods, like emergency food to bring it into like also people fleeing Ukraine, but also people that are being displaced. And I, I think this is an element where there's like kind of talks to the emergency nature of the World Food Program, where in a lot of cases where wherever you see in the news that you know people are affected by wars, by disasters, this is where the World Food Program will be active. Now, let me just share one of the innovations, which is now graduated from our accelerator. It's called Building Blocks. It's a blockchain um, tool, essential system. So for refugees displace people to purchase food via an online system so like that's that's one of the use cases in ukraine it actually was implemented to coordinate the eight transfers of 18 different un uh, agencies and ngos and in that case uh, building blocks was used to coordinate the, these eight transfers and what was interesting out of 337 million dollars um, of transfers to people Within a four-month period, they were able to identify $35 million of potentially duplicate transactions. And because of the blockchain solution, those $35 million of transfers didn't happen. And 185,000 people now have additional support because those duplicate transactions didn't happen. And this is just to show like some of the, you know, this is maybe not a... Uh, most obvious kind of use case if you're thinking about this, but uh, it's definitely one of the areas where, yes, like technology can play a role. Love it. Before we go into more specific innovations, and I love all the examples you are sharing, Bernard, could you tell us a little bit more about how actually the Accelerator organization is organized? So I've heard of the Sprint Accelerator, a scale-up enablement program and Frontiers program, right? I would say the, the, the our core accelerator, which we call SDG2 Acceleration. So this is where we do everything. So we're looking for startups so everybody can actually apply to our accelerator. It's innovation.wp.org. Everybody can apply. So it's an open innovation approach where we're trying to get as many innovations as possible. Then we typically invite, you know, between like 700 and over a thousand applications that we get every three to four months. We only invite eight to 10 teams. So the eight to 10 best to our innovation bootcamp. And on that one, we actually for a couple of years now, we're collaborating with Google for Startups. We're, and we're grateful for the support we're receiving also in terms of mentors, knowledge, and uh, all of the work. And then there in the bootcamp, we're actually training the teams on, okay, 
what's the problem you're solving? Like human-centered design, lean startup thinking, technology, marketing, product management, these types of aspects that we're coaching the teams and the pitch event. And that's essentially to supercharge teams and the startups to adapt them to whatever they want to go next. So let's say if you already are active in one country and you want to expand, what that bootcamp focusing on is how can we actually help you expand to the next country? Uh, then in the sprint program, what we're doing is typically six months, uh, and we provide up to $100,000 typically of grant funding, so equity-free funding. And one, one person from our team will be like the kind of the venture project manager working with the startup or the nonprofit innovation, also like balancing out development needs and then connections with our field offices. So which means, let's say, if you have a startup and they have great knowledge from the on-the-ground problems, but they lack the knowledge of how do I build a scalable technology? How do I build a product that is really meeting the needs? That's one of the aspects that we can actually balance out. Similarly, when we have somebody with a great technology solution, but they actually don't know what life in a refugee camp looks like, that's also something that we can actually balance out and help teams during the sprint phase. And then scale-up enablement, it's really tailor-made to the needs, It's uh, but it's for the best and most promising uh, ideas that we're finding. Now, there's more teams that we probably should be supporting, but like it's, we are 100% funded by donations. So like if it's essentially based on available funding, which, you know, that limits essentially like how many startups or we can support in early stage and in scale-ups. And then just to say in the Frontier Innovations program, what we're doing there is we're specifically looking at blockchain Web3, but also at artificial intelligence solutions to working with external partners to say, okay, what are really cutting edge solutions that could transform the way we're working? And talking about technology, I would love to hear a little bit more about how you see technology-enabled solutions really making a difference? Because I think people have mixed emotions about technology and food. What has shaped your view on the impact technology can make? And how would you address people who would say, well, do we really need more technology? Or should it be, quote-unquote, more natural? So sometimes it's a trick question where it's like, can technology solve every problem in the world? Probably no. I do believe that innovation and technology can make a big difference in solving world hunger and making food systems more equitable and sustainable. And technology solutions in that case can play a role in like the scaling of solutions, in how much we can make uh, solutions accessible also to people who otherwise would not be able to afford them. And I think that's an element of like, of course, it's not just technology solutions, but like technology can be a key enabler in making like knowledge more accessible, but also some of these solutions actually spread a lot faster. Yeah. I have a question for you in your role, Bernard. So you get, based on all the companies that ultimately submit and want to become part of your ecosystem and the pitches you get to see, you have a very good overview of what is happening in the broader world. How do you balance this notion of, on the one hand, many of the solutions are already known with just more people to act upon it. So it's basically how can you share a known solution to other settings versus to continue to basically allocate available capacity to develop the next solution. So how do you balance the tension I think there is between those two directions? It, it is a very interesting uh, challenge. And like it's, it's definitely one we're facing 
every day. And it's a question of what our basic assumption is or our North Star is like, how can we help more people through innovations, technologies, and startups? So like that's essentially like what's the, the driving force behind our work. So sometimes when we're looking at startups or a technology that are already existing, we're looking into like, what's the impact potential of this technology? How innovative is this? And also what's the business model behind? Or is, if it's a for-profit startup, is, is this ever going to be sustainable? How can it grow? How can it scale? And I, I think this is the aspect of like, that's challenging at times with startups or innovations. When you look at current innovations, it might seem very small. We're trying to extrapolate, like with the right support, how much impact could that startup make? And then it's typically a balance of you'll end up with more innovative, more disruptive startups and technologies that are, might be still smaller right now. But at the same time, you balance this out with maybe you have some known uh, technologies or innovations that you then help replicate. Uh, and in a portfolio logic for us, at least that makes sense because you're also balancing out like some of the higher risk with the maybe less risk but then maybe it's not as disruptive but it's it's definitely something that's on our mind and like the it's something that with available resources you always have to make trade-offs and talking about those trade-offs i wonder as well i'm just curious as the outsider how you balance between the needs of addressing the urgent situations like in a war zone or in a drought you know and there are so many hotspots around the world, unfortunately, versus investing in more longer term needs or solutions as well. So how do you avoid getting just this whiplash between there's a crisis over here, what can we do versus actually staying on course and thinking about the challenges we're going to be faced with over the years, if not decades to come? I, I think part of the answer here for us is also driven by our funders partners or donors actually who, who fund us where i think luckily a lot of them also have a strategic mindset that are looking into okay we need to invest into solutions for the future right now because longer term that will help us reduce the urgent funding needs and i think that as a logic is definitely very true and very worthwhile now the challenge really is as well is like i think we've been trying to have about like a 50%, 50% split between half the portfolio of our innovations focuses on helping people in immediate need, making emergency response more effective and uh, more efficient. The other half is about sustainably ending hunger, changing diets, bringing alternative protein solutions to the fore, like things that will uh, sustainably improve people's lives, but then also reduce the need for emergency assistance going forward. And I think specifically in the innovation area, like we would be not doing the right job if we would like weigh like emergency response 100% in our portfolio because like this is the role of innovation i think we have the opportunity to invest right now to have like multiply that impact over time and we really will have a big impact then at the same time at least i also see still solutions that can be deployed right now for making emergency response just a lot more efficient and more effective AI solutions, big data analytics, supply chain optimization, which is, you know, if you do this at a big scale, you can still save a lot of money and therefore help a lot of people. All righty, let's dig into some of the good stuff. I'm going to ask you some questions about different companies you're supporting in the various buckets you articulated earlier, like in the category Sprint Accelerator. Ancestral markets I've heard about. 
And I think it's really interesting when people talk about shifting diets, we really think about ingredients or diets, but there are so many enablers as well. And my understanding is, is that ancestral markets might be one of those enablers. Can you talk a little bit more about ancestral markets, what that company is all about? Yeah, so in this case, it's actually uh, so a non-profit innovation like that we have supported internally from the World Food Program, but also with external partners. And the basic idea behind this is that in a lot of developing countries, there is essentially pressure to adopt Western diets purely because that's what some of the shops and the retail chains sell. And what Ancestral Markets does is essentially to take up uh, you know, some ancestral uh, uh, food products, uh, essentially like inspired by the old trading points that would uh, have you know, indigenous ancestral markets where people would trade, come together, share knowledge. And I, I think part of what we've been doing there is essentially build a digital platform that, you know, on the one hand, like make those foods available. On the other hand, like increase the income of some of these like ancestral communities. So like the communities that are still farming in the traditional way, they're producing the food that's oftentimes actually climate adapted. So it's like something that's good for the environment that they have an additional income, but it's at the same time, like preserving these types of solutions. And I think part of it started in Colombia, but uh, we are trying to expand this across Latin America right now. I think this has a big opportunity right there. Also, when we're talking about like essentially like forgotten foods or like things that are, you know, maybe not as popular, but uh, in the context of developing countries, I think that can be a good way how to preserve also the knowledge and the heritage of different countries. The next one, Bernard, Phoenix Coolbox, if I pronounce it correctly, which is about longer shelf life for better nutrition and increased food security. Yeah, th this is... Uh, Again, a very interesting one. Um, so it, talking about like, what's the problem for a lot of smallholder farmers? So a lot of smallholder farmers, they actually lose 40 to 50% of their income because of post-harvest loss or food expiring before it ever enters the food system. And like, that's a big problem for the income of the smallholder farmers, but it's also wasteful and it's a huge climate impact when you think about the food that was produced that's actually perfectly fine to eat. But then, you know, it actually... It just spoils before anybody ever can consume it. And what Phoenix cool boxes do is like they develop like a, a cool box. Uh, so it's not a, a cold storage, but it's a cool storage. So it makes it cooler. So extending the shelf life, it's not necessarily like a fridge, but like it can actually cool down from whatever the ambient temperature around the box is to, you know, several degrees below, like in the box. And that increases like the shelf life for the farmers. And like the way it's, the technology works, you also don't need uh, electricity for it. So like this is why it's exciting. Now, we've been looking at this, also a couple of other cold storage or post-harvest loss innovations where the idea is the same. It's essentially like extending shelf life, making sure food doesn't expire and increasing smallholder farmers' incomes. Let's talk a little bit about the Scale-Up Enablement Program. Um, we talked about Nivus already. What about H2Grow? Growing food in truly impossible places? This is, uh, you know, an interesting innovation as well, where like originally, like this innovation, it was actually something that was submitted to us by um, actually a Saravi refugee who lives in the Saravi refugee camp in southwest Algeria, right? And so Taleb, uh, Taleb Rahim, he, he was able to get an agronomist education internationally. And so like based on that, he said like, well, you know, that refugee camp, the Saravi refugee camp, it exists for, I mean, now it's probably 
more than 45 years. So some people already live in that refugee camp for the third generation. And unless there's a political solution to the Saravi's future and like the original land, they will likely have to continue living in this refugee camp. So like, and like income uh, is limited. So like what he came up with is saying, okay, can't we use hydroponics or growing plants without soil to create animal fodder? So we first did a pilot with a high-tech shipping container, and then he replicated the same thing with a low-cost solution of available materials locally, essentially uh, producing animal fodder that has been replicated in over 20 countries already, not just for animal fodder, but also producing vegetables, um, vegetables for single moms, vegetables in school gardens. And I, I think this is an element of specific when you talk about climate adaptation, what happens to like uh, children's diets, how can we increase education, but also like good nutrition for them. A couple of countries, for instance, in Zambia, where essentially there's now hydroponic growing in the school gardens, which is then adopted also with the community or the government. And uh, in this case, it, this is a pure nonprofit innovation. We've open sourced all the essentially the training kits. So like everybody can go online. It's H2Grow, as it's called. And they, they are online and you can replicate this program. Now, I, I'm still uh, trying to see like, you know, can we do more, right? Is, which startup is going to transform this and actually make this accessible? Not just in a vertical farming way that you will see in the US, but also in like an affordable way for developing countries. Yeah. What strikes me is that quite often the solution itself is not, and I say that with kindness, technologically very complicated. It's actually a known solution, but the innovation is actually in the adaptation of that technical solution under very different circumstances than maybe for which it was originally developed and or technically to make it work in very complex situations. Because I think for many of us in the West, you would never think of, I'm going to develop something from a refugee camp that has been in existence for 40 years. That is just crazy to think about. I, I think sometimes like this is where like that idea came from the community. Like this is something that essentially it comes from somebody who lives in the refugee camp right now. And like, I, I think this is an element of also how can we bring together the different aspects of you know, technology, business models, solutions with the problems that are out there. I, I think we're oftentimes talking about this in the context of developed countries and like shifting diets and, and things like that. I think there's similar ways that we actually should be looking at also like, you know, tackling food deserts, right? I think it's like outside in, we may know or we may have an idea what the problem is, but maybe that's not the problem. And I, I think it's a challenge that is actually in a lot of different cases. Yeah. And what I love, as I work for a technology company, it's the dissemination of information is now creating so many new opportunities because somebody in a refugee camp can actually see what has been done all over the world and think that might work over here, whereas in the past, that just wasn't available. So I think you get this acceleration of ideas as well. Uh, Love it. So Bernard, we talked about, do we really need another startup? to solve X or Y. In a similar vein, do we really need another accelerator to come up with more startups? So how would you address that question just based on the work that you do? So 
I think when you look in the world right now, and right now there's about 350 million acutely hungry people, so people that are marching towards starvation. At the same time, we're looking at food systems that are broken, food deserts. We look at climate change that happening uh, as, as we're speaking. We need a lot more solutions a lot faster. And Accelerators won't solve everything that we're talking about, but like I believe there needs to be a lot more action, whether that's like more people founding startups, more large corporates actually changing the way they're working, changing their products. But then I think there's a role for you know these accelerators or also investors to choose to invest into solutions, whether it's food systems, food and ag tech, like in developed countries, but then again, in developing countries. Specifically, when you think about the future of the planet, I think there is uh, an opportunity to find solutions that actually create like more food, more foods that's more sustainable, that people have healthier diets, and all of this can happen at the same time. Like this is where like I think the magic can still come. And I'd argue that having more accelerators, more investors and more investor money going into the space will actually be a key enabler for driving also like the entrepreneurs that will then be active in that ecosystem. And my final comeback to that one will be is regardless of whether we need more or less, I deeply admire those in the arena. Those are actually doing stuff. Well, yes, I, I do hope that a lot more will come and a lot more you know, interested parties, whether it's individuals, corporates, foundations will say, hey, this is something where we really, really want to get active because it's not just also a question about you know, charity or philanthropy, but there's also a real business opportunity. Think about the problems we are solving. Like these are real business opportunities where technology, startups, and investors can actually make money and do good at the same time. Totally agree with you. One of my favorite questions, Bernard, is asking the question, if you knew then what you know now, from a change-making perspective, what would you advise your younger self or all these change-makers out there that are hearing you and saying, wow, I want to become like you? What is it that you would share with them? Um... Wow, that's a, that's a powerful question. To, to a certain extent, what, what I would advise my younger self is to really embrace risk-taking and not worry as much. And I, I think this is an element of, there's inherent risk in so many aspects of entrepreneurial or entrepreneurial decision-making. And sometimes that may mean that you're taking risks that are really, really feeling uncomfortable. However, like over time, you know, if you're working hard, if you're smart, if you're working with the right people, you have the right partners, you're looking for advice. I think there's so much impact that you can make. And I would say, you know, if for everybody listening out there, it's more like, I think not worrying so much about taking bold steps towards things that you think make sense and just try it out, like make experiments. Like if you don't know what the right solution is, Take one step at a time. Try test it like human-centered design. Like, you know, you're looking into if this can work, try it out and see if it's working. I totally agree with you. Actually, be much bolder and just get going. But it takes probably time to ultimately embrace those notions. Bernard, thank you so much for joining me today on Food Lab Talk. It has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Michael, the pleasure was all mine. And I'm looking forward also to anybody who wants to actually like join the fight against hunger or create a more inclusive food system 
across the world. And thank you for everything that you are doing with the Google Food Lab. I enjoyed my conversation with Bernard and reflecting on my conversation with him, a few things that stood out to me. Shifting diet is so much more than just food. Yes, the startups Bernard shared have the goal of ending hunger, but not simply by telling people what to eat or providing them with food. They are improving the overall system through economic opportunities, community, and connection to cultures and heritage. Related, the idea of community-driven problem-solving. Like several of our earlier guests, Bernard challenged change-makers to be humble and set aside our assumptions. We may think it takes X to solve Y, but someone with lived experience might know that X doesn't work for a number of reasons. If you want to drive impact, center the community you're serving and involve them in the change-making journey. And finally, I was impressed by Bernard's articulation of the balance of risk, acute needs, and long-term vision. When you're faced with short-term crises, it can be easy to deprioritize long-term needs and to seek out short-term low-risk solutions. But in change-making, high-risk disruptive solutions often spur rapid innovation that reduces crises over the long term. I think it's important to strike the right balance between accelerating action while maintaining stability within the current system. For more information about the World Food Program Innovation Accelerator and related projects, be sure to check out the show notes. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you liked what you've heard, subscribe to the podcast at foodlabtalk.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. As we close, I invite you to pursue your own bold vision and take whatever action you can take towards a better food system. See you next time.